Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg. Here's another episode of Find Your Film. This is episode number 155. We have three sets of interviews for you, and two of them are by Eric Holmes. First one is with Quentin Depew. He is a director behind Smoking Causes Coughing. It's a film that both he and Bruce Perky really love. It came out this weekend, and right now, as of Rotten Tomatoes, has a, a critic score of 90%, audience score of 60%. Again, it's, it's in theaters, available on demand. I'm a, I'm a fan of Quentin Depew. I've seen two of his movies. Last year's Incredible But True, and a couple years before that, he did a movie called Mandibles. Both really interesting movie movies. I did not get to watch Smoking Causes Coughing. Look, it looks funny, and if Bruce and Eric endorse it, that's a very good sign that this movie has is very good. It's very interesting. By the way, Quentin's sense of humor, if you don't know it, if you haven't seen Rubber or, I believe, Deerskin, what else? Yeah, Incredible But True and Mandibles, and now this movie has a very interesting way about him, eccentric, eccentric humor and it's an acquired taste and hopefully that taste is yours maybe check out some of his past movies and who knows maybe you if you've not heard of quentin depew or his work and but you like laughing or interesting humor yeah check his stuff out starting maybe with smoking causes coughing so that's the first interview second interview is with eric holmes interviews claudia zavallo she's an actress behind the new family comedy family dramedy a snowy day in oakland currently on rotten tomatoes no critic reviews okay but as far as the audience the audience like it's i think less lower than 50 ratings but it's still there are people who've rated this movie it has an 86 percent rotten tomato score from the audience a snowy day in oakland sort of centers on a, a woman played by nicole ari parker i think she moves into oakland and then i think she's putting up some kind of new shingle, new business. I think she's a psychiatrist or something. I haven't seen this movie, but Eric de- describes the movie as adorable. So he really enjoyed this movie as well. So it's a beautiful psychologist played by Nicole Ari Parker. It's I'm reading the IMDb summary. She She's from San Francisco and she moves to Oakland to open up her private practice. And then when she moves to Oakland, there are, I guess, snowy day. I don't know what the snowy day means. But it's interesting. I think the neighbors of the area are a little bit more closed off. But through fate and circumstance, as the movie progresses, the people in the area in the neighborhood of Oakland start warming up or maybe snowing up. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's a snowy day in Oakland, but it's. I think it's a heartwarming drama. Okay. So that's Claudia Zavallos is one of the ensemble. And she stars in the movie with, co-stars in the film with Tony Plana. I love Tony Plana's work. But Zavios has some really good a good conversation with Eric about her acting process and about just putting her heart and soul into her dreams of acting. Very resonant interview with Eric. Towards the end, she also talks about her love for the film October Sky. So it's a very in-depth discussion on why October Sky, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, is a film that is very, very special for her. Okay. So October Sky, you have a find your film recommendation. And then Quentin Depew, I forgot what his thing was at the end. Okay. So that's my bad on that. But I do remember what Josiah Cross's film is. And he, Josiah Cross is an actor. You might not know the name, but you will know the name very, very soon. Before this, before this movie, A Thousand and One, which he currently stars in, he starred in King Richard. That is, as of now, his only film critics, film critics, not film Credit, my bad, film credit. So King Richard from a year ago and now 1001. 1001 centers on Terry, a youth who is raised in Harlem by his basically single mom, Inez, played by Tiana Taylor. 
William Catlett plays Lucky, the father figure who comes in and out of Terry's life over the years. The movie is set in 1994 Harlem, New York. In 1994, yeah, 1994 Harlem, New York. Also 2001 and 2005. So there's different timelines of actors playing Terry. First one is Aaron Kingsley Editola at six years old. Terry at 13 years old is played by Avon Courtney. Josiah Cross plays Terry at 17 years old. And Josiah, all of the, all of those Terrys were great. Josiah really stuck with me. And I just, wow, I hope he and Tiana Taylor get some kind of recognition for their work in 1001. As we speak right now, as we record, the critic critics rating for 1001 is 96%. As for the audience, there's an 84% rating. So that's very, very high on this movie. If again, it's only in theaters as of right now. If you love really strong performances, intimate dramas, and if you love New York as a city, as a place, as a setting for a film, this is, should be a movie for you. And if you want it, look, you might even be a fan of Tiana Taylor's music as well. So, and Josiah Cross, you don't know, you probably don't know who he is, but after watching this movie, you might, you're going to be possibly very, very excited to see what is down the road for him. Very, very talented actor. And towards the end of this interview, he talks about Interstellar, how much he really loves that movie and Christopher Nolan's work. So just like Claudia Zavallos, she talks about her, about how October Sky meant a lot to her personally in following her dreams. Josiah Cross talks about the the element of time in Chris Nolan's films, Christopher Nolan's films, and why time is a very important theme for him personally. It's a really cool talk about Interstellar and also October Sky. And I'm trying to remember the Quentin. I did edit the Quentin DePew interview. I'm trying to remember if he talked about a movie towards the end of the interview. That's my fault on that. But you have a couple movies to maybe watch if you haven't seen. If you haven't seen October Sky, Jake Gyllenhaal and Chris Cooper are fantastic. If you don't get misty towards a couple parts in the movie, then you might not be human. I will, I will question your own humanity. You might be a robot. I don't know. And then, so that and Interstellar, obviously, I'm sure a lot of you have seen Interstellar. We'd love to, to hear your thoughts on any of these movies. Towards the end of this podcast, I will also talk about the Blu-rays and DVDs I within the last seven days that I've either received from publicists and also a recent trip I did to my favorite or my only DVD CD store. DVD, CD, Blu-ray store that I go to. It's called CD Trader on Tarzana. This is not a sponsored post. I just love this place, CD Trader. I go there all the time. When I have have junk DVDs or physical media that I want to get rid of, I'll get rid of them. Sometimes I'll get some cash, but mainly I'll just trade them in for other DVDs. So I'll tell you guys what I traded my last batch of DVDs and Blu-rays in for and what I got in return. So that'll be sort of a Blu-ray DVD haul, very small, like maybe five or six titles, maybe just even five titles towards the end of this podcast. I am putting on the show notes one of these three sets of interviews, so they will be timestamped. So if you just don't want to just want to go to one of them or two of them or just one of them or three of them, hopefully you do three of them. But anyways, you'll you'll get all the marks on the show notes as well as the mark for the final. And when if you just want to hear about the physical media, physical media stuff. All right, guys, that's it. I will talk to you guys uh, in a little bit. First up, Quentin DePew for Smoking Causes, Causes Coughing. Next up is Claudia Zavallos for A Snowy Day in Oakland. But last but de- last, but definitely not least is Josiah Cross for 1001. Thank you guys so much for listening here to find your film. And uh, yeah, have a great week watching movies. Love y'all. Bye. I see you very funny. Very, I love the backdrop. Oh, thanks.
Um, I, I believe I've been saying your name uh, wrong the entire time I've known about you. Is it? I, I've been saying Quentin Depew. Is it Quentin Depew? You, I mean, whatever. Like, you, how do you say uh, Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. Same. So Quentin, like, I, when I was living in Los Angeles, people were calling me Quentin. Quentin, Quentin, Quentin. Okay. Whatever. But in France, we say Quentin. Quentin. Okay. I just want to make sure, sure I got that right. Because a lot of times, I'm sure you get this. Uh, you see, like, you see stuff written so many times. But then, yeah. like, you have a way of saying it in your head. And then yeah, you I hear know. someone else say it out loud. And it's like, oh, okay. Didn't know that. <laughs> But uh, uh, Quentin Depew, uh, thank you for joining me today. And uh, uh, I, I guess first of all, I want to talk about is your movies are so funny and strange and original. And especially the last couple of years, you've been doing a lot of them. Um, typically, someone uh, of your ilk don't get to make a lot of movies of the type that you get to make. They either got to be big budget or four quadrant or, you know, something we've seen a million times. Um, but you get to make a uh, wholly original things that seem to be the actual movies you want to make. How, how are you able to continue doing that? Uh, I think it's probably because a lot of well-known actors basically want to work with me uh, because, you know, it, I think I'm I'm like a playground for them. Um, I mean, I, I know that basically that that's how I I I I keep on making these movies. It's it's because usually I write a script and I instantly find some great actors uh, to work with, and suddenly for the industry it means something. Like if these actors. I don't know if you know them, but but they, they're they're pretty big in France. It's very simple. It's like the in, for the industry, it's a signal. It's like oh, they want these people want to work with Quentin. Okay, let, let, let's make it happen because it might mean something. What what do you suppose the secret sauce is as far as um, just oh, letting original people? voices be heard in general? It's. You know, I, I've been fighting hard for this, like for this freedom I have now. Like uh, 10 years ago, it was almost impossible for me to finance a movie. Like I had to insist, I had to push. Uh, and it was like the, the, the small movies I've shot in the US, for example, they, they were a nightmare to finance. Like nobody wanted to see these movies. And so now I've been forcing, forcing, forcing. Now it's, you know, at the end of the process, I'm now like I have this card that basically allows me to make one small movie like this every year. And uh, when I say small, I'm only talking about the budget, of course. And they're not tiny. They're not like invisible. Uh, but still, for the industry, these movies, you know, like are still considered as like, you know, they're small movies. Uh so I, I think that's why it's possible for me to do to shoot one every year. It's because I have these big, famous actors, and at the same time, the movies aren't very expensive to shoot. I also like with the smoking 
uh, causes coughing. I I could see this. I could see a version of this. It's like a hundred million dollar version. Um, but it, it wouldn't have the same kind of charm with the, with the effects and kind of, uh, like kind of Power Rangers Godzilla kind of aesthetic you have with it. Was it originally thought of as this, or do you just go nuts when writing and then based on your budget, figure out how you're going to pull it off from there? No, you know, now it's, it's almost uh, automatic. Like when I write a movie, it's basically possible in my budget range, you know, like it's, it's my brain works like this. Uh, I never see myself writing something too expensive because I, I know I want to make the movie uh, in, in, you know, like in a few months. So my brain goes, okay, if you want to make this movie, it has to be possible in this budget range. So, you know, like it's all about, knowing uh, the possibilities. Like I know I will not get $100 million tomorrow to make a movie. So there's no point writing an expensive movie, you know? So that's how my brain works. Like, it's like, okay, what's the next one? Let's write something possible. Also speaking of writing, what's the writing process for your movies? Like, uh, do they come fully formed? Or do you just go in with like a theme or a small idea and you just figure it out as you're writing it? Or like what, what's the writing journey like for you? It's never the same. Like it's different on every movie. Like uh, for example, the movie uh, Mandibles, uh, the movie about the, the giant fly. I started with just this stupid idea of two guys find a giant fly in a trunk. And I started like this. Let's see what happens. And yes, I, I discovered the movie while I was writing it. Sometimes I have the story in mind before writing. Sometimes I have nothing. Sometimes I just have some visual ideas. Sometimes I just have dialogues in mind. It's always different. And, and um, also, I, I just recently found out uh did a lot of music too, which I'm becoming a fan of that. Uh, what, what's like the, I mean, art has a lot of crossover just in general, but what's some of the crossover between what you do in music and what you do in film? Probably uh, editing only. Uh, the sense, like the, 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 the you know, the, the beat I have in mind when I, when I'm cutting a movie, like when, when I hear the dialogues and the sounds, that's maybe uh, stuff I learned uh, while making music. I guess that's, that's the only uh, connection between my music and my movies. It's the editing process where you just, you know, you cut a dialogue to make it sound perfect. It's a bit like making music. Kind of like a, a pacing, maybe? Like, uh, we need to change the beat up here. Okay. And then kind of yeah. get you. What and what like uh what uh are you still doing music today? Uh yes, a little bit. A little bit. But but um but my my tool as a filmmaker is so much wider and uh you know I as a musician I'm I'm really limited. Like uh, I I can't for example take a guitar and play something. I you know I d I don't know music that much. Like I I'm not a good musician. I'm I'm more like you know 
uh, I make music because the tools are easy. Uh, as a filmmaker, it's different. Like uh, I, my my uh, my range is bigger, and I I have the sense that I'm becoming slowly a master of what I'm doing, which is not the case in, in music. In music, I'm still like a stupid kid uh, trying to uh, to make stupid music. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I'm cutting a movie, I know that I'm building something stronger. I still think that like, uh, even with the music, like, it, you know, not knowing like the music theory though, that I think experimentation is kind of part of growing and part of, uh, being able to kind of learn it when you say, can you repeat it? I had some background noises. Oh, sorry. The, um, like experimenting with music or just in art forms in general, you're just kind of playing and figuring out, you know, kind of stretching your arms and you get to figure out what you can do without the restraints of, Oh, these are the rules. This is the box I need to stay in. Yes. Yeah, so let's say like making music is cheap. You can spend uh, three days on a computer making music. It will cost nothing. And still you can, you, 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 you can create something amazing and it costs uh, zero. Uh, when it comes to shooting a film, it's different. Like you, you can't just, uh, you know, rent a crew and experiment stuff on the day. Everything has to be prepared. Everything has to be scripted. Otherwise, uh, you know, the ship sink. And also it looks like you got another movie coming out. Uh, if I got all the A's correct, it's Dali uh, about Salvador. <laughs> yes. You got um, it. You got it. Yes, it is. Yeah. A movie about Salvador Dali. Yes. Now, what's that? Uh, when, like, uh, what, what's that one about, and when's that expected to come out? Do you think? Uh, we, we, we. Of course, we, we were trying to uh, screen it uh, in Cannes Festival, just like Smoking Causes Coughing last year. It was uh, premiered in Cannes, uh, so I hope my Dali movie uh, will be also you know, uh, shown there. Well, I mean, uh, based on your previous work, I'm very interested to see that. And, uh, what I know of Salvador Dali seems like a good fit with your sensibility. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you do with that. Thank you. Yes. I, I have a, uh, an amazing connection with Dali. I have to say. Yeah. Um, also I guess the final question is, uh, my, my co-host, we have a segment called what's in the box. And we have people put uh, movies in there that we draw from every week. Uh, just kind of lesser known movies that uh, you think more people should check out. Or uh, maybe just a movie that's personal to you that you happen to like. But is there a movie you would like to put in the box? Uh, interesting. Um, I would say S.O.B. by Blake Edwards. S.O.B.? Yes. Oh, it's... by uh, Blake Edwards? Yes. Okay, I thought you checked with Greg. He he may have seen that one, but uh, you see, but, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's not his best, you know. But there's something really special about this movie. To me, it's an amazing movie, and uh, and I know it's not well known, you know. It's um, so yes, that's 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 a movie I really love, and I know when I when I found it a few years ago, I was so excited to see it because. It's, it was like finding uh, a treasure. 
Yeah. And also uh, one, one final question um, of your filmography, like what's a, what, what's a movie that you put out that, uh, or uh, you got a couple shorts as well. Like what's something you put out that you really liked that you kind of wish more people would, would go see. Obviously rubber was a, a pretty big indie hit, but like, uh, is there something else from your past that you put out? It's like, ah, oh, that, that one was really good. I wish more people to check that one out. No, I, I, I don't think like that. Like to me, um, it's, it's to me, I get, you know, like I usually get the response I deserve and I take it with a lot of philosophy. Like that's just the way it is. And, you know, uh, when, 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 when you, I don't know how to say, um, you know, even if 10 people actually love a movie I made and they tell me it's already enough. Well, yeah. I can tell you there's at least three on our show that do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Quentin, uh, thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And I'm a big fan of all your movies. So uh, looking forward to uh, looking forward to seeing what everyone thinks of this one. And can't wait to see Dali. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. I have been known to forget to hit the record button. Haven't we all? Yeah. (laughs) But this is my job. I shouldn't be doing that. It's horrible. Yes. All right. Um, And well, I'm here with uh, Claudia Zavios, one of the stars of A Snowy Day in Oakland. And first of all, I got to say, this is an absolutely adorable movie. Um, I was I was watching it going, I cannot wait for this to come out. My sister is going to love this because she, she loves these kind of movies. And a lot of the movies we cover are kind of uh, like sad bastard indie movies or horror movies. So it, every time I get a movie like this, that's kind of off the beaten path of what I normally watch and has all the fun characters that this has. And it, yes. it's just uh, it's nice, refreshing change of pace. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much, Eric. And thank you so much for having me. Yes, I really do. I do too think that your sister's going to love it. <laughs> and yes, Snowy Day in Oakland. First of all, I'm so honored to be part of this fantastic and such talented cast. And Snowy Day in Oakland is just a magical comedy. It's a magical comedy, which is filled with love, hope, dreams, desires, while you're laughing out loud. So it's it's pretty magical. And I'm so grateful and honored to be part of this movie. Yeah. One one of the things I liked about it was the uh the kind of theme of the snow globe because um the this uh neighborhood that you guys are all in it seems kind of walled off from the rest of the world it seems like everyone's kind of uh and then even beyond that everyone's kind of walled off in their own businesses in their own personal lives and then you know they they kind of intermingle and come together um I I really like the theme of that um what what can you say about that I suppose. Well, uh, going off of what you just said, how the whole block is literally walled off. Yeah, it's inside of the, the snow globe. And that's why it's so magical. And how 
every, all the characters, basically the shops in this block, they're walled off from one another. It just signifies of how separated we can be at many times. But then again, since this is a block, how united we all really are. So this block, it's, I know it's a black and brown movie, but it's really an everybody movie because these characters go through different kinds of emotions, situations, and they all have different hopes and dreams. And I really believe it just, it stands for every single one of us in every different stage in our life. And we just, we're so honored, but it's literally a movie where you will feel so related to every single one of the characters. And it just speaks loudly. And as a Latina woman, I'm going to dive into the Angelica character. I just felt so so represented because I felt heard. I felt understood because Angelica is a dreamer. She's a dreamer who's filled with desires. She's a hard worker. She absolutely adores her family, adores her father. And there isn't a day which goes by that she values so much all the sacrifices her parents have made to bring her to America, to give her the best opportunities. And she loves her extended family, which you talked about is the block, even though we are separated, but we're really not. And this is when Latrice's character comes in and the magic happens because she unites us even stronger. And I think that's so important for now for everybody. Things sort of have to happen, even though we can't understand them sometimes why they happen. But sometimes they do because we just need to be stronger together. And then from that, I believe that anything is possible. Yeah. I also like uh just uh, you know talking about these characters like I almost feel like the movie didn't give me enough because uh, I I really wanted to uh hang out at the uh Bodega USA with uh, you and Tony Plana's character I, it it almost feels like it almost feels like this wants to be a TV series so it can you know e- each each week or uh maybe each season like focus on a different a different group and maybe bring bring other characters and certain characters leave so on and so forth but exactly um, like that, you for that, example that would be right really great. like okay. you you can we can have you at the bodega i mean <laughs> yes absolutely that's so funny that you say that because a lot of people have been asking and saying what else happens? I mean, what else can't happen? You know, I mean, anything is possible. But yes, I mean, as you've said it, a lot of people have been asking, you know, is this going to be a television show? We want to know more about the characters. We want to go and 
get a haircut or we want to go in and have a talk with a pastor or we want to go in there and get an extravagant dress or we just want to go and have a talk and experience with a psychologist we've never had before. So it people have been bringing it up a lot. Yes. Yeah. Also, um, you've worked with uh, the, the, I'm not familiar with these movies, but I'll go back and check them now. But you've worked with uh, Kim Bass uh, at least twice before with Tyson's run and Day of Days. Um, what, what's your both your relationship like as far as uh, working together? He, 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 he must like you because you keep coming back. Um, I hope he at least likes me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he just puts up with me. I don't know. But um, I feel very lucky. I feel very lucky we did a first we did Day of Days. And it was so funny, Eric, because at the time I was taking care of my aunt, who was like my second mom, and she passed away about a couple of years ago. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. And he talked to me about this role of Marisol, who was a caretaker. And it's so funny to me how life works out, how life sometimes acts as a magnet for the work that you're supposed to be doing. It's, it's, it's very interesting to me. So at the time, I was taking care of my, my aunt. And so he talked about this role with me and I was amazed. I was amazed by, I was amazed by his devotion and his detailed on how he develops characters. And when I read the script, I thought, wow, this character, Marisol, I mean, she's a warrior. She's a warrior. She absolutely wants to love life again. And she's a dreamer, even though her dreams have been a little bit wind down, but she is a dreamer no matter what. So those are all the qualities that, first of all, we as women have, and absolutely as a Latin woman. And when I read the script and then I knew Tom Skerritt was going to be playing Walter, it was amazing to me. I was just floored by the fact that I would be working with Tom Skerritt because he's such a legend. And when I got to work with him again on Tyson's Run, he spoke to me about this character of the teacher. The teacher who is a, an important character in the middle of the story of this autistic boy who believes he can do anything. And he does. And I thought, wow, that's so funny because I remember when I was five years old and I would get sick and my grandparents raised me. So we, my mom and I, we lived in my grandparents' house. So when I would get sick, I would literally get this long wooden board on top while I stayed in bed on top of me and I would have all my family members surround my bed and I was the teacher so when I got this teacher role 
I thought, wow, again, it's like life just knocks at your door and says, okay, so here's what you're supposed to do again. (laughs) (laughs) And it was amazing because not only did people really receive it with a lot of love here, but it got distribution all over Latin America and it did really, really well in Peru. So that, that, that's a day of days and Tyson's run. So I, I'm really grateful. Yeah. And so uh, what you were talking about with day of days were uh, like a lot of times hurdle and imitate life, but that's might be a little different for someone like you when you're, creating the characters is that um is that usually a good feeling or sad feeling or maybe both or like emotionally how do you feel creating a character that's so ingrained with something sad that happened in your life first of all i feel lucky and yes as you just said it's it could be very emotional but i believe if we don't get emotional then we're not digging deep enough into ourselves to be able to give a character life. And therefore, if we don't give it life, then we're not being fair to the character we're creating. So that's what I think. All right. Well, that's better answer than I could have given for that, but I'm a guy, so I keep the emotions locked in. (laughs) Um, But I I guess uh, the last question is, um, I ask this with everyone. My co-host Bruce has a, we have a what's in the box segment and in the box, we have people put movies in the box or maybe, uh, maybe a movie that's personal to you or maybe a movie that, uh, you think is underseen. Like, Oh, this is really good. No one talks about it, but what's a, what's a movie that kind of fits that description that you would like to put in the box that we can hopefully draw and watch later on. I, would think that a movie that I would like to put in the box, I would think, hmm, that's such a great question because I have a mix of all these different movies. I would think Rocket Boys. Rocket Boys? Yes. What what is uh, Rocket Boys? I've not heard of that one. Rocket and you're talking Boys. to a cinephile, so good, good call on that. Rocket Boys, it's, it starts Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, okay. Yes, and it's the story actually about Homer Hickam. And Homer Hickam, okay, so the first time I ever watched this movie, I felt such admiration for Homer. Because he had all these people, especially he, he, all these people telling him he could not make his dream come true. But he only focused on his father because he wanted to have that deep relationship with his father. Now, it doesn't matter if we don't all want to have deep relationships with our father. We could want it with our aunt, with our mother with our grandmother, with whomever, but we all have that one father um, for us. So he wanted to have a relationship with his father and his father never really paid attention to him. He thought he was going to 
just be another coal miner, miner as he was. But Homer had dreams of building rockets, and he was obsessed with it. He visualized it. He lived it. He breathed it, and that was his dream until he obviously fought for it, fought fought against it with his father. His father, um, there's this one scene towards the end of the movie, and I don't mean to give it away, but his um, after he comes back from this state school uh, contest and he, and he wins it, his father says, so I heard you met your hero because it's this this man who's also a scientist to whom Homer had been writing and the scientist had been writing back to him. So he says, so I heard you met your hero. And as Homer is walking away, he turns around and says, the scientist isn't my hero. It's somebody else who's my hero and looks at his father. So, and then his father just looks at him because he knows this boy loves me. This boy needs me. And there's some kind of a very selfish feeling he finds within the father. And that's when they, they, they connect for the first time. So I think it's a very inspirational and just a fantastic movie. I actually, you know, I'll share this with you, Eric. After I watched that movie, I wrote to Mr. Homer Hickam and I thanked them for the movie. I thanked them for the inspiration and I thanked them for helping me never to lose track of my dream. And he wrote me back. <laughs> he wrote me back and he said, Claudia, don't ever lose track of your dream because if you, if you stop dreaming, you die. And I know you're going to do really well because I can feel the words you've read, you've written to me. And as I've been reading them, I know there's something really special in you. So that helped me believe um, much more. So he, he's a very dear, kind, and obviously very talented man. So that's the, that's the movie Rocket Boy. I, I just I just looked it up. Um, I did see that movie, but I I don't know it as Rocket Boys. I know it's October Sky is the. Okay, so it's the the book is called Rocket Boys. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I wrote, and then yes, it's yeah. October Sky. I guess I'm just so stuck with Mr. Homer Hickam that I just call it Rocket Boys. Yeah, but regardless, that, that I I did like that one, and I will yeah. certainly put that in the box. It, it, I haven't seen it in a while, so it'll be good to revisit for sure. Yes. But uh, uh, Claudia, thank you very much for joining me today. I really enjoyed the movie and I look forward to seeing what else you got coming in the future. Thank you so much, Eric. And thank you so much for wanting to have this conversation. I really got emotional and it, this was really kind of like a deep conversation. And thank you for allowing me to say how I build my characters because it means a lot. Thank oh, you. No problem. Thank you much. Is that a nest? I the the weed. I thought you'd move to another shelter. Nah, you know I was in Rutgers. I really missed you, girl. Yeah, and apparently these roots, too. What you been doing? What you been doing? Nothing, nothing. Yes, the roots make you, too.
Terry, just let me see your eyes so I know you're not mad at me. I'm staying out of trouble this time. Tell me more about your foster mother. You like her? Would it make you feel better if you came and stayed with me? Yeah. All right, we're gonna go to Harlem, where I grew up at. The city had him. He's not supposed to be with me. Can't you get locked up? Not if you keep it to yourself. Where's my dad at? He's gone. But you wouldn't like them anyway. I got somebody else in mind. Terry, I want you to meet Lucky. Lucky's gonna be moving in with us. How long? Damn. You better get that chip off your shoulder. I know you hear me. You are my mother. You a blessing. For your mom especially. You getting older now. Time for you to start thinking for yourself. Daryl's a very bright kid. Have you thought about MIT, Harvard? Something's gonna happen. I can feel it. Is your mother home? Maybe it's time to give him some of the answers that he's been looking for. Is Daryl your real name? Have you told anyone else about this? No, I'm scared. When are you going to realize that you are enough? I go to war for you. You know that? Against anybody, against this whole city. But they're not breaking us up this time. Josiah, first off, what an amazing performance as as Terry. A lot of people talk about great performances. It really felt that you inhabited the role. How does one, in layman's terms, how were you able to do that? Ooh, Bless you. I'm so sorry. No worries. Bless you. Yeah. Uh, could you uh, repeat the last part of the question? Yeah. How were you able to inhabit that role just in general? Because it really felt not just like a performance. It felt absolutely real. Um. Wow. Thank you. Um. I um I feel like my kind of guiding light or northern star to you know inhabiting Terry was um a loyal a loyal commitment to the truth um and I think that uh, my disciplined effort uh, to that is kind of what um led to the manifestation of what what you guys you know saw on screen and I, I feel like I've been landing on this word a lot uh empathy I feel like empathy is the thing that is that is just going to connect us more, uh, bring us to a more unified state as a people in the world, around the world, all cultures alike, colors, shapes, sizes. Um, I think empathy is what is going to allow us to connect. And I think that's what allowed me to connect with the spirit of Terry, um, just understanding who he was, where he come from, not judging him, um, respecting him, valuing him, supporting him, seeing his worth. And I think that's truly what um allowed me to holistically and truthfully and authentically exist in his skin. Mentioned discipline. Just I can't even imagine the discipline and focus it takes to play such a role. Can you just I guess in layman's term, just talk about all the steps you took? Was it just a daily grind and of course joy in exploring 
character as, and as well as the world of this story? Um, also been speaking about this a lot. Um, the backdrop of the film, New York City itself, um, I think played a considerable part in my preparation and my discipline and, you know, every day going to set. Um, and at the time I was living in New York, um, you know, a lot of the time I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, get driven to set. I would, you know, ask them to let me take the subway to set, you know what I'm saying? So little, little, little nuances and tools like that, you know, kind of where I psyched myself into, you know, staying grounded and rooted in the role, um, and in, in Terry's skin, um, you know, speaking in the accent at all times of the day, you know, kind of like not taking it off, um, taking the skin off, um, I think those things become habits and those habits become patterns and those patterns become, um, you know, ways, ways of behaving. Um, and once I got settled into the behavior of who Terry was, it was kind of like, you know, easy, um, for me to show up and, you know, do it on screen. You know, I'm like, if I, I leave the house, I'm pretty much a hermit. You're not that way because you decided to several years back journey to London to, to hone your, your acting. Do you see that long journey, your journey to London sort of as a parallel to what you're doing for this project? Meaning you're going outside your door, you're experiencing something new and you're not, you're not afraid of what's to come as far as facing those challenges. That's part of the joy maybe of what you do as an artist. Yes. 1000%. Um, I feel like uh, the, the, the very definition of an artist um, for me is grounded in like love and passion. Um, and I think that once you disassociate the, the label of like work, um, which has such a, you know, a lot of times negative connotation to it. Um, I have to study or I have to go to rehearsal or I would switch that thinking. And I, and I switch the thinking all the time to, I get the privilege to, study. I get the privilege to rehearse. I get the privilege to do this research on this character. I get the privilege to, um, you know, be a risk taker and go to London and, and challenge myself with the Brits because they're better than everybody. <laughs> um, um, and I think that, you know, that kind of like, um, internal switch inside of me is, is, is what has allowed me and allows me to, um, challenge myself. Um, and what, and when you challenge yourself, the only thing that there's left, uh, the only thing left is growth for me. Um, and I want to continue to grow and to continue to learn and, you know, go beyond what I think I'm capable of. You know, speaking of growth, I, I don't know if you attended Sundance. Just can you just uh, talk about your feelings of if you have already seen getting the reactions from this film and just it possibly changing people's perceptions and lives. So on that, that's side A of my question. And then part B is how, how has this movie, I guess, in tangible fashion changed your life? Because it's such a profound and, and sublime story. Um, well, to the first part of the question, I, I was at Sundance. We all were there. Um, the main cast, we were all there. Um, and again, I'm a cinephile, love cinema, all the ins and outs, bells and whistles, everything that, you know, has to do with film. Um, and Sundance has always been that, you know, one of those floating ghosts in the canon of, you know, the film world of like, well, if you go to Sundance, man, you, you know, you're doing it, you know what I'm saying? You know, not only that, just the privilege of like, just being grateful even to make it into Sundance is like a, a, a revered and a rare list. Um, then 
getting to win the highest prize there, then then we get into we get into surreal airspace where, okay, well we got in and that's that's the win itself. Okay, we got into Sundance and then we won. Then that's kind of like, well, okay, you know, ninety five percent of like the films that won this prize go on to like win an Oscar. You know, what I mean, then that then that talk enters your, you know, your your brain. Um, and for me, you know, it's kind of all just rooted in just gratitude and just being grateful um, for the opportunity itself and getting the chance to just contribute to the space and give this story um, to people. Um, and, you know, walking away from Sundance, I was just, you know, extremely um, um, filled with gratitude um, and humility. Um, and tangibly today, I would say, you know, it's still early. So tangibly, um, I would think the only thing that, um, you know, has changed is um, people texting me more <laughs> um, about, you know, what they seen or what they heard. That's probably about it so far. You know, so obviously I'm not a professional, but I'm, I'm just curious when you're in these scenes, you're a professional actor. How do you not break down? Is it is it is it a lot easier for you than one would think as far as these moments with your family, you know, your fellow actors and they're playing your family. And these are really deep scenes. How do you you know, how do you do that? I think it is. Um, yes, it's a professional, you know, craftsmanship. Um, but. At the same time, I, it's funny. I was having a conversation with my buddy Casey the other day, and uh, we were talking about horror movies. And he was saying, "He was like, yo, would you ever do a horror movie?'" Oh, yeah, I'd do a horror movie. And uh, I was explaining to him, "I'm like, but it's not what you think it is. Like, the ghost isn't on set. There's like 50 camera guys on set and light people. So it's like we're not scared. But when you see it, you're gonna get scared." So that I, I would uh, apply the same knowledge to, to to this, where it's like, yes, this is such vulnerable and emotional subject matter. And yes, we are feeling these feelings, you know, while it's happening on set. But at the same time, you know, there's a camera this close to my face. So just realistically, what's happening, it's like, you know, I'm not, you know, breaking down all the time. You know, if I break down, it may be in my trailer or when I go home, but not in the actual, you know, thing itself. You know, um, final question. You mentioned you can describe yourself as a cinephile. So first off, right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about this movie that's special for you? And on the flip side of that, can you name a movie that you feel needs a little bit more love and it's underrated? And what makes that movie special? So that two-parter for you. I love Christopher Nolan. Um, so I'm going to say Interstellar for the first part of the answer. Um, to me, I love, I, I love this film because I love Christopher Nolan's directing style. Um, if you, you know, if you go all the way back, you know, to Memento or something, um, there's like a through line, um, with time and time being this thing that that it that is juxtaposed against your existence and how how you necessarily view time, how you value time, and what role do you play in it? What role does your family play in it? Uh, what role does you weighing what is more important, your existence or maybe your daughter's existence? You know, when it comes to time, what will you do for that time? What won't you do for that time? Um, and I feel like Interstellar 
it's 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 telling a story that is intangible and below the surface as opposed to like you know the big budget there in space and on a spaceship and all that kind of stuff that gets people in the seats but like once you're there and you're you know dissecting and examining what's happening it's like there's there's a quote um in the movie when matthew mcconaughey is they're doing the math of how long they're going to be in space and um you know he arrives at okay well we're going to be here for 15 minutes and then another character like he was like at 75 years and he's like are you willing to be away from your family for 75 years just to save the world and everyone else is kind of like confused on what their answer should be and you know matthew mcconaughey's character is like now i'm willing to do it you know and those type of motifs and thematic you know undertones are, are are what draws me to a film and connects me to a film and um just how and also just how matthew mcconaughey his arc in the in, in the story how in the beginning he was he did he didn't want to do it he didn't want to go and then he's like okay well i'll go and then he's all happy to go and he's all for it and then he then he gets there and he's he's been there for like a like a week and it's been like 20 years on earth and then he starts to realize what, what that time meant um versus what he was trying to achieve and him rethinking well maybe should i just have stayed down there with my family and died with my family or be trying to save the world for these people that i never would have touched or saw in life where i could have spent the last 30 years with my actual family but um yeah it gets me very emotional but i love i love interstellar josiah thank you so much for your time really love the film and looking forward to interviewing you, you again great great performance thank you so much Hey guys, what's up? So here's my Blu-ray haul that I did receive within the last seven days. This is one of my bad things. I get DVDs and Blu-rays from publicists and I purchase stuff as well from CD Trader. And it takes me forever to get to them, to review them. I am going to make a concerted effort moving forward to start covering them and reviewing them and just talking about them on this podcast and as well as my website, findyourfilms.com. You can check that out as well. I have not been writing on that site. I've just been devoting a lot of time on Deepest Dream, but I am focusing on make, putting more physical media coverage, a lot more coverage, in fact, on the findyourfilms.com site as well as giveaways. All right. Anyways, what I what did I receive from, from publicists is just two discs, okay, from Cohen, the, from Cohen Media, Cohen Film Collection, I receive a movie called Secret Defense, and it says, a film by Jacques Rivette, and it says, when a brilliant scientist discovers that her father did not die accidentally, but was murdered by a family friend, she swears vengeance, and the actress is internationally renowned actress Sandrine Bonner, and you know what, Jacques Rivette is a filmmaker I should know more about. So this is going to be very interesting. It's a new K, new 4K restoration, and it says under Cohen Film Collection, Classics of French Cinema. Let me look up what it's, I am, when it comes to just French cinema, foreign films, I need to really, really brush up a lot. I need to learn a lot. I, I, I need some kind of Yoda of foreign films to actually, or international films. I guess that's how you, how you term them these days via, via the Oscars, but I, I need to learn a lot more and watch a lot more foreign films, international films down the road. Yeah. Secret Defense was actually original, originally released in 1998. This Blu-ray is a 4K restoration from Cohen Film Collections. Cohen Film Collection, thank you to them for sending me the Secret Defense Blu-ray. Tomato Meter 13 ratings, okay? 
I don't think Rotten Tomatoes was up by 1998. So maybe that's why it's considered a mystery and thriller. Oh, no. The runtime to this, and it, it stars Sandrine Bonaire. And I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie by Jacques Rivette. But look, there's 13 reviews, 85%. 250 ratings plus ratings over on Rotten Tomatoes, 84%. Wow. So that is really good. But the problem is two hours and 53 Bleeping minutes. I'm going to get to this. I, I've got to get to this. And whenever something says mystery and thriller, I'm excited. That's that. I think mystery and thrill, mystery slash thriller and Westerns are my favorite genre. So Secret Defense from the Cohen Film Collection is my first, uh, it's my first little review copy that I did receive. Okay. And then I, the second one I is from Music Box Films. It's called Leonore Will Never Die. And I remember when this came out, I, either earlier this year or late last year, got really, yeah, late last year in 2022, got some really great reviews. Here we, here we go on Tomato Meter, Rotten Tomatoes, 36 reviews, 92%. Audience score, that said there's fewer than 50 ratings, 88%. Here is the Rotten Tomatoes plot summary. A delightfully unique tribute to the transporting power of cinema, Leonor Will Never Die marks director, co-writer, Martika Ramirez Escobar as a talent to watch. That is not a good way to... Yes. Oh, so yeah, it's a Filipino film. So I'm Fili- I'm part Filipino, part Thai. So this is something that should hopefully appeal-, appeal to me. Sorry for that. My throat got dry. Okay. Quote, Leonor Reyes was once a major player in the Filipino film industry after creating a string of successful action films. But now her household struggles to pay the bills. When she reads an advertisement looking for screenplays, Leonor begins tinkering with an unfinished script about the quest of young noble Ronaldo, forced to avenge his brother's murder at the hand of thugs. So, uh, okay, so this is about a, a former major player in the Filipino film industry. So, in I I am very ashamed because I am Filipino. I think in my life I've seen maybe three or four Filipino themed films. So, and I didn't, I still haven't seen that Joe Koi film, but so Martika Ramirez Escobar, I'm excited to see it. it. It's in its original language in Filipino. So I'm excited. So Leonor will never die. I'm going to watch this. It's a runtime of 99 minutes and it's currently on, I did receive the Blu-ray. The bonus features include feature commentary by director Martika Ramirez Escobar. And there is a making of featurette. There is, also a short film by Martika Ramirez Escobar and more, it says, and more. It's widescreen, English subtitles. That's really cool. And also the Secret Defense. Also, I forgot the bonus features on Secret Defense. Bonus features include an audio commentary track by director Emeritus New York Film Festival and professor of film and media studies, Columbia University, Richard Pera. Okay, so that's... Yeah, because these these types are very, I think, or Richard Pena. So basically, audio commentary from Richard Pena. I can't really see it very well, but there's an audio commentary in the Secret Defense track. There's also a re-release trailer. Again, I'm excited because it's a 4K restoration. I'm not excited about the two hours and 53 minute runtime. I might start Leonore Will Never Die at 99 minutes first. Now, as far as the movies on physical media that I did receive... That not that I did purchase when I was young, and, this, and and me being in my fifties, that was 
eons ago. So we're talking about when I, let's say when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I was obsessed with the Magnificent Seven. Okay. And if you haven't seen the Western Magnificent, the Magnificent Seven, you need to. This is one of the movies that really marked me for life because one of the gunslingers played by Robert was played by Robert Vaughn. And he was the guy who had the, if I recall, the slick, he was the slick suit gunslinger and he looked very stylish, but deep down inside he was a coward. And I think I was like 12 or maybe 12 or 13 when I saw it. And to see what happened to Robert Vaughn's character at the end of The Magnificent Seven, spoiler alert, he's a coward for most of the movie, but then eventually he has a moment of bravery. And then to see what happens to him within the context of the feature really scarred me. It pretty much scarred me for life. And maybe, I don't know, that that was tough to take. That said, there was an actor, a young actor then, named Horst Buchholz. And he played a young, I think he... I don't want to spoil it too much, but he was the young gunslinger in The Magnificent Seven, okay? And he was the quote-unquote fresh face I did not know about. Even when I was 12 or 13, I knew who Robert Vaughn was. I knew who Ewell Brenner, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson. I knew all those guys when I was a kid, but I had no idea who Horst Buchholz was. So after loving The Magnificent Seven at 12 or 13, I realized he was like, wow, Horst Buchholz is in a movie with James Cagney called One, Two, Three. Oh, and it's directed by Billy Wilder. Billy, and I think even then I knew that Billy Wilder directed Sunset Boulevard and Some Like It Hot. So even by then at that age, I, I knew a little bit about, I knew a thing or two about a thing or two when, when it came to cinema. And I think by then I'd seen Sunset Boulevard and Some Like It Hot. And I said, oh, wow, Horace Buchholz, he's in one, two, three. And I love those Billy Wilder movies. I've got to see one, two, three. And back in the day, there was a couple of chances for me to see one, two, three on television. It would play late at night on television, or even during, if I recall, there were chances even during the VHS tape. The record when you were recording it, everything on VHS. I could have recorded on one, two, three on VHS as well. But I was always obsessed with eventually watching Billy Wilder's one, two, three. And as the years progressed, there was a Cameron Crowe book where he interviews Billy Wilder. And I think I have it in my garage right now. And I don't know if it's either signed by Billy Wilder or Cameron Crowe. I know it's signed by someone. I even remembered getting that book from the publisher because back in the day, I used to actually interview authors and whatnot. And I was planning on interviewing Crowe for that book. I don't know. It just never turned out, never happened, that interview. But I did get the book. And even when I got the book, I think it was in the mid nineties or whatever, whenever that book was released, I think it was called Conversations with Wilder or Conversations with Billy Wilder. I said, my gosh, I still haven't seen one, two, three. I need to see one, two, three. Well, it's 2023. I still haven't seen one, two, three. So thank goodness for CD Trader. I did finally purchase, well, in my case, purchase means I traded in some DVDs and I got Billy Wilder's one, two, three starring James Cagney and yes, the Magnificent Seven star, Horace Buchholz, as well as who else is here? Pamela Tiffin and Arlene Francis. I love Arlene Francis. She's very, very good as well. $9.99, $10 used. And I think right now on Kino Lorber, if you go to Kino Lorber to order it, it is currently $12. So I saved $2 here and actually it would have cost me a little bit more to Kino Lorber to... um for shipping. So I saved a little bit money here on CD Trader, 
by actually purchasing a $10 used DVD. But I, I, this is not no knock on Kino Lober. I love them. We'll definitely, we'll, a lot of my DVDs and Blu-rays are from Kino Lober that are purchased. So I'll be reviewing them on this Find Your Film podcast as well. Now, there's a movie called a DVD. It's a special edition of Joyride, a movie starring Steve Zahn, Paul Walker, and Lily Sobieski. And here is, there is a critic, a movie quote down below. It says, a hot wired white knuckle thriller. I believe it was directed by John. Yes, it was directed by John Dahl. And yeah, John Dahl is a very interesting filmmaker. And yeah, he did, what movie did he do? I think he did a movie called Unforgettable, The Last Seduction, if I recall. I haven't seen The Last Seduction. I definitely have to eventually get around to it. I remember The Last Seduction starring Linda Fiorentino was huge when it came out. And I think the Unforgettable movie starring Ray Liotta, I think Fiorentino was in it as well, but that movie didn't do so well. But anyways, John Dahl was a big fixture as far as the directing scene in the 90s. And Joyride, I when it came out, got some really good reviews as a, just one of these really solid B-level thrillers. So I decided to check it out because the guys, or not the guys over at my middle class film class, specifically Peta Beta over at Middle Class Film Class reviewed Joyride very recently. And I think it was it's streaming on one of the services. I don't know which one it is. But what's interesting about this Joyride special edition on DVD, which I got for four bucks used copy, it has a 29-minute alternate ending. And it says here, not just a new ending, but a whole new movie. And it says here, four shocking new endings in all, plus a truckload of chilling extras. And it says here, the plot stalked by a vengeful trucker, three friends race for their lives. My eyesight's horrible, by the way. It's a thrilling nail biter with four mind blowing alternate endings. Steve Zahn, Paul Walker, Lely Sobieski interviewed both, never interviewed Lely Sobieski, interviewed Paul Walker, really great guy. And, uh, yeah. I got him emotional on one of these interviews. If you ever want to know what happened, I'll, I'll tell you. Just email me and I'll email you back on, on what happened regarding Paul Walker. Very interesting story regarding him. And Steve Zahn, very cool guy to interview as well. So, And Leslie Sobieski, I wish I got the chance to interview her, never got to. But Joyride, I've never seen this. I purchased this because of the 29-minute alternate ending. I might, when I have time, watch the original film that's streaming out there and then try to watch the full director's cut with the alternate ending and see maybe there might be a completely different movie, if it's a completely different movie or not. So it's just interesting. Also, the fact that I got this DVD for $4 is cool. Used, that is. You go on Amazon, this DVD not used, 28 bucks because it's put out by 20th Century Fox. And if I recall, there's not too many 20th Century Fox DVDs out. Their whole line, 20th Century Fox Entertainment, not as much as... They're discontinuing, I'm sure, some of these titles. And yeah, that's why this DVD is selling for on Amazon for $28. But it's really cool. Joyride, I can't wait to see the alternate ending. If you would love to hear your thoughts on Joyride as a film, and maybe if you've seen the alternate ending, tell me what you think of that as well. Last but not least, the complete first season of... Night Gallery from Rod Serling. And it says here in the back, 20 terrifying stories plus the original pilot movie. It includes bonus episodes from the Night Gallery series featuring the series' biggest guest stars, which include Sally Field, Vincent Price, Lindsay Wagner, Carl Reiner, and more. So this is the complete first season. I got this 
This was pretty cool. $6 to complete for a season sealed. So that was, and I think actually right now, one of the reasons why I got it was when I was at CD Trader, I went to justwatch.com to see if I can actually stream it in all of the streaming services that I pay for and I never use and I waste so much money every month. But on Just Watch, it says it's not available for streaming. There's nothing, there's no streaming or not even for a digital purchase. I could be wrong. I haven't checked Vudu yet or movies anywhere, but I checked on Amazon and I, I'm looking right now, the Night Gallery season one, the Night Gallery, it, there's no way to actually purchase the complete first season on digital. So as of this recording, that's kind of a cool thing for six bucks. I'm getting the Night Gallery for, yeah. And it's, I would have purchased this Night Gallery thing, $6 used. But the fact that, yeah, let's see, I'm looking right now on Amazon, the Night Gallery, Night Gallery season one, the DVD sealed is $13.07 and the Blu-ray is $27. So this Night Gallery, I, I, I don't think it's ever been used because it's sealed and it has this thing in it. And this is an old copy that they've had kicking kicking on the shelves for a while and I decided to purchase it. And yeah, the if I purchase the DVD on Amazon, it's $13. And that's even a, a steal because the original price is $17. But anyways, it's really cool to even get it right now because if you are jonesing to if you're a rod serling fan you know rod serling from the twilight zone you and you or you're just a fan of night gallery this would be worth purchasing you can't stream it or purchase the digital stuff anywhere that's ridiculous it's really ridiculous and what's interesting is one of the sellers over at over at cd trader he said oh yeah my my father was a um, not a dop he was a cameraman on one of the episodes of Night Gallery. Actually, I forgot to ask him what his father's name was so I, so I could look it up on IMDb. So anyways, some really good purchases on physical media. Also, look, I don't know, listeners, if you have a lot of money on your, as far as your expenditures go, if you have some money in the bank or you just, like me, just will, <laughs> you'll use your lunch money to buy physical media. I've just recently realized that Maybe it just took me way, uh, just too long to realize this, that it's worth, it's worth buying physical media because on one hand, you never know when streamers will take it off the air or take it off streaming. Number two, if you even have the money to buy digital, it might be not be able, like available on digital. So, and I know discs eventually degrade over time and whatnot, but I have DVDs here that's been in in my house for about over 20 years and some of them i haven't even gotten to but um yeah i mean so that's it that's the wow this was a long one so so my, the, my haul this week was leonore will never die thanks to music box films for that secret defense from cohen film collection thanks to the people over at cohen media group for that so secret defense and leonore will never die i will be reviewing it on find your film the findyourfilms.com site. And eventually I'm going to get to Billy Wilder's 123, starring my guy, Horace Buchholz and James Cagney. Joyride, starring Steve Zahn, Paul Walker, and Lily Sobieski. I just need to devote an entire day for that. Watch the original film and then go for the 29-minute thingamabob alternate ending. And last but not least, Night Gallery, the complete first season for six bleeping bucks. My goodness. So, Again, not a sponsored post regarding 
CD trader over in Tarzana, but I just, until the end of my days, I hope that store is open because that they, they do a great service and their pricing is fantastic. Again, not a sponsored post. I just end up getting some really good trading for some really good stuff down there. If you are in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles area, area, or if you're going to Los Angeles, or if you're looking for a Blu-ray or DVD store, go, go to CD Trader. Go find it. It's on Ventura Boulevard. It's that, that whole area has a great music artist kind of vibe over that Tarzana area on Ventura Boulevard on CD Trader. I go there maybe once every three weeks and just, uh, I trade in a lot of the stuff that I, I've uh, amassed over the years that I don't need anymore or just recent Dollar Tree purchases that I'm not feeling. Okay. So that's it. Hope you enjoyed this podcast um, with those three sets of interviews. If you I'm make I'm trying to make find your film its own thing. So if you have any questions regarding any of these, these physical media, or if you want to share some of your own physical media stories, or whatever, I'm not physical media, not a, a, regarding your own personal physical media. I'm talking about your own personal physical media in relation, not to relationships, but in relation to Blu-rays and DVDs. Okay, so I want to make it sure that, yeah, hit me up, info at Find Your Films. Tell me about some movies you have in your collection, your prized and cherished DVDs and Blu-rays, yada, yada, yada. All right, guys, thanks again for listening, and I'm out. Bye.